I have an extremely simple message for you this morning from an extremely familiar passage of Scripture. It's more than likely that you'll hear nothing new, but I am praying that you will be willing to open your heart to be reminded of the importance of three critical admonitions from the Apostle Paul to you and me. So get your Bibles or your device and go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll give you a second to find it. Obviously, it will be on the screen. We're going to begin, and we're going to read three short verses. I'm going to actually have you stand, and I want you to read it with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Let's do it together. Rejoice. Let's turn it up about 10% and do it one more time. Come on, go. In everything, do what? Just because it's one of my favorites. Let me, let me just give it to you from the New Living Translation. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And in so reading, I would say, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let the church say amen, amen. and be seated, please. Three admonitions. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every situation. Now listen to me carefully for just a minute. Or a few. Some things vary in your Christian life. Some things vary in your Christian experience. They come and they go. But some things have an always attached to them. And that's what we find with these three verses. There is an always attached to these verses. These verses name three circumstances or situations which are for always. And the explanatory clause at the end of these verses almost certainly refers to them all. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every situation. Now, I know some of you are saying, come on, Pastor Dan, you've got to be kidding me. Don't you think that's just a little bit unrealistic? Don't you think maybe the Apostle Paul was in la-la land when he wrote this to us, that you can always rejoice and you can never stop praying and that you're supposed to be thankful in every situation. Well, let me just remind you that these admonitions are given to us as believers by the Apostle Paul. Further, let me remind you of the circumstances under which he wrote them and to whom he wrote them. I understand that one would tend to think that Paul 
would write these words when all was going well for him. You can almost get a picture in your mind of him being in some sort of euphoric state about always rejoicing and always and always praying, never stop praying and, and to give thanks in every situation. But the reality of, it, reality of it is this. No, Paul knew well what it was to live in tribulation and extreme persecution. In fact, if anyone doubted that, he could have said to them, would you like to see the marks on my back from the beatings that I've endured and the whippings that I've taken? Would you like to hear about the death sentence that's being imposed upon me? Would you like to hear about that? But here's the difference. A man like the Apostle Paul knew that a Christian's joy does not spring from one's circumstances. but from the blessings that belong to the believer simply because you are in Christ Jesus. The Christian's joy does not spring from your circumstances. I know that's counterintuitive. I get that. But rather from the blessings that belong to the believer because they are in Christ Jesus. And I want to go, I shall not want. What we just sang. Biblical commentator A.J. Mason wrote this. He said, the Christian who remains in sadness and depression really breaks a commandment. For in one direction or another, for in one way or another, he he or she mistrusts God, his power, his providence, his provision, or his forgiveness. In case you tuned out, let me say that again. A.J. Mason wrote, the Christian who remains in sadness and depression really breaks a commandment. For in one way or another, he or she mistrusts God, his power, his providence, his provision or forgiveness. So then, let's consider what about the people to whom Paul wrote these three admonitions. It might be easy to think that the people to whom Paul wrote these admonitions were people who had it all together. And surely it would come easily to them. They might be in la-la land themselves. Rejoice always, yes. Pray without ceasing, sure. Give thanks in every situation. No, the truth is, when you study the Word of God, you see that they too were suffering persecution. Life was tough for them. Being a Christian had its cost for them. So why would Paul write this to them and how on earth Could it be applicable to you and to me today? You're asking someone who's being persecuted or you're asking someone today who's struggling with great trials to rejoice sometimes. To rejoice, to pray, and give thanks in every situation. How could he do that? Well, Let me remind you of the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. Here's what Jesus had to say about it. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And here's what he said. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. I'm calling these three always admonitions. These always admonitions that we are considering this morning were written by a person and to a people 
who knew what it was to pay a price for their Christianity. There's another way we have of saying that around here, and it's this. These are people who had their feet on the ground. Their feet were touching the dirt of the earth. Their feet were in, based in reality. They weren't at all uh, confused about the circumstances and the difficulty of their circumstances. Their feet were on the ground, but their heart was toward the Lord, which is a good definition for any Christian. I want to submit to you this morning, Bethesda, that you and I worship out of our experience. You worship out of your experience. I understand that some might quickly argue with me. No, Pastor Dan, we worship simply because God alone is worthy of praise. Certainly he is. But your worship comes from some experience that has made the truth clear to you that God alone is worthy. You worship out of your experience. I watch precious little television, almost none. Maybe a little Wheel of Fortune from time to time. Becky still thinks I should try to get on there, don't you? Because I try to beat everybody before they say it. Sometimes she thinks it's great. Sometimes she thinks it's annoying that I do that. She seems to have great confidence that I could get on there and beat everybody on there and win a bunch of money for her. <laughs> you what? You would share with me. Do I have witnesses in the house who heard that? I hope the recording captured that. While I may not watch much TV, <clears throat> I do occasionally watch, walk past the television if others in the house might be watching it. There was a commercial that used to jump out at me when I saw it. I haven't seen it in a long time. It was a commercial about a patch for cigarette smokers who were trying to quit smoking. Uh, the commercial goes on about whatever they have to say about the product or the patch, its qualities, its properties and all. But what caught my attention was, was this, that the commercial ended by saying, for every great why, there is a great how. Say that with me. For every great why. So let me start by asking you this. Why do you come to church on Sunday morning? Why do you come every week to the same place and sit in the same pew? I know it has your name on it. And sit in the same pew, often next to the same people, typically listening to the same old preacher every week. You worship born out of your experience. And when it comes to experience, we know that Paul tells us in the book of Romans, tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope does not make us ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad uh, in our hearts. So in other words, what he's saying is your experience matters. And I'm here to say the only way to properly worship, the only way to truly worship is out of what you have been through. You can give somebody else's testimony, but it's not your testimony. You can sing someone else's song, but it's not your song. You can pretend to conduct yourself in Christian circles like you see others conducting themselves. But if it's not born out of your experience, I'm telling you it's false, it's fake, it's phony, and it's untrue, and there's no two ways about it. But 
When you have experienced the goodness of God, when you can lift your voice to sing, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you've been so, so good, with every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. When God has truly brought you out, your worship takes on a different flavor. It sounds different. It has a different energy to it because it's no longer just repetition or because someone else is worshiping next to you as encouraging as that can be. It's no longer routine. It's no longer just showing up. Now that you know why, you get really excited about the how. Think about that. When the why dawns upon you, the real why, and it's your experience, then all of a sudden the how becomes a much more vital and important thing. You may have entered these doors today with full understanding of why you should worship. But in our text today, Paul teaches us how we are to worship, and that's what I'm proposing to you. He says, rejoice always. Say that with me. Rejoice Always be rejoicing. Always be excited about the things of God. That's the how. Always be enthusiastic. Always full of joy. And then he says, pray without ceasing or pray, pray continuously. And then he goes on to say, in everything, not for everything. Let's get that straight. In everything, give thanks. I'm certainly not grateful for cancer. For me, you, or anybody else. But I can still be grateful should I find myself in that situation. Oh, somebody talk to me today. I'm not grateful for the heartache that I'm bearing today. But I'm still thankful in the midst of the heartache that I'm bearing today. I'm not grateful for the storm. But I do know how to praise the name of Jesus in the midst of my storm. Because I have well learned in my decades of walking with the Lord that truly he can give peace in the midst of the storm. My life is a testimony to that. Let me tell you, as, is many, as are many of you, in this group of three always admonitions, Paul gives us the habits that characterize the Christian's relationship to God. The first of those characteristics is praise. Verse 16, we just have three verses. Verse 16 leads us into praise, and it says we are to rejoice always. Say it again. Now, let's not be confused about it. Paul never encourages the believer to deny the reality that adversity brings sadness and grief. The stuff you're going through hurts, it's painful. You never thought you'd be facing what you're facing today. And he's not confused about that because let me tell you why. Because in the book of Romans, Paul said this, rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those who weep. Yes, we are to recognize that even in the midst of the most agonizing situation, the presence of God through his precious Holy Spirit can infuse your soul with hope and your heart with joy. I'm telling you today, God is able to do that, church. 
even in the midst of the toughest thing you're facing today and what you've walked through these doors with, the presence of God through his precious Holy Spirit can infuse your soul with hope, hope for tomorrow, hope for a brighter tomorrow. For the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more to the perfect day. And he can infuse your heart with joy. How many of you believe that God can do that today? Therefore, joy, 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 wonderful joy, marvelous joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Not happiness, but joy. Because happiness is contingent upon that which is happening. But joy is in spite of what's happening. Are you hearing me today? Now let's be real about this. You may have noticed that there are some people in the church who are not always smiling. Raise your hand if you've noticed that and don't point to anyone. There are some people in the church who are not always smiling, they're not always jumping up and down, and they're not always floating on air. Not everyone has the personality of being effervescent and always springing up like Pastor Josh. That's not everybody. But when you look at those people who are struggling, who are not doing the jumping up and down thing, you might think that they are coarse and cold. But I'm going to give them a break this morning. I'm going to maybe help you understand them a bit. Because maybe you have also noticed that life has a way of tempering you. Has anyone lived enough years to know that life has a way of tempering you? I have never done it, but I'm told that if you watch the Food Channel, I told you I don't watch any TV. I've heard about it. You can learn stuff like this. Whenever there is a mixture, ladies, you bear me out here. Whenever there's a mixture that requires eggs to be put in a warm mixture, my understanding is that the eggs have to be put in slowly to temper the mixture or you will scramble the eggs. You will mess up the, des the desired end result if you put the eggs in too quickly. Ladies, am I right about it? The eggs have to be put into the... Aren't you impressed that I know this? The eggs have to be put into the warm mixture slowly to get them acclimated to the temperature of that mixture. And I'm going to propose to you this morning that you take that idea and, 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 and overlay that or project that onto that that is how God deals with us as it relates to our joy. God somehow in his sovereignty and in his wisdom mixes enough trouble with enough happiness to fill us with contentment and joy. Pastor Dez used to say it this way, God gives you just enough trouble to keep you on your knees and just enough triumph to keep you walking on victoriously. Both of those things are part of the life experience. Both of those things, the trouble and the triumph, are part of the Christian journey. We're not always jumping up and down because we know that maybe around the corner something is coming that we're not expecting. But we can know that if it comes, and it might, our faith has been tempered and our joy has been made complete. 
because though we are not always happy, we are always and can always be full of joy. Why? Because it's the joy of the Lord, a joy that God gives. It's His joy, not ours, that gives us strength, His joy. It's not some fake joy that we're supposed to manufacture. Somebody say amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm just trying not to scramble. Go ahead. Bethesda, happiness comes and goes. You know that's true. But joy shows in your facial expression. Joy shows in your handshake. Joy can even show up when everything around you is falling apart. You still come to church. You still hold your head up. You still raise your best hallelujah to God. It doesn't matter who's sitting next to you. Because if God has been good to you, your joy can spring up, Scripture says, even in the nighttime, even when it's dark all around you. If God has been good to you and you can take one second to recognize the goodness of God, that all of your life he's been faithful, that your joy can spring up even in the nighttime. And the church of Jesus is to be unique in its proclamation that joy, everlasting joy, unspeakable joy is at the heart of our faith. Someone say, bless the Lord. Why is that? Because nobody can come to Jesus and be saved and leave the same way that you came. Because there's just something about that name. There's something wonderful about the name of Jesus. It causes me to say, I shall not want. I shall, I've got goodness. I've got mercy. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. There's still a thrill in my heart when Sunday morning comes around because I know how truly delightful it will be to be gathered with the people of God in the house of the Lord as we're doing today. The pastor's home in which I was raised, we started preparing on Saturday for the day of the Lord on Sunday. Clothes were all laid out on Saturday. If something needed to be ironed, that happened then. Shoes needed to be shined, and that was pretty much every week. We made sure everything was ready on Saturday because when Sunday morning came, early morning meetings with the Sunday school teachers, and then the Sunday school hour, both my parents taught adult classes, followed then by a big morning service, and then a big Sunday dinner, hallelujah, Then back at the church in the afternoon for choir practice and then the youth meeting about 5.30 or 6. And the day ended with a big evangelistic evening service that concluded in an extended altar time which could easily go very, very late. Does anybody else remember those days? Can I tell you, young ones who think that sounds crazy, it was exhausting. I could echo the words of the psalmist who said in Psalm 119, my zeal has consumed me, which is another way of saying my zeal for the Lord has slap worn me out. It was exhausting. But we absolutely believed that when you give God your best praise and when you come and you leave it all here at the altar, it needs to wear you out. We didn't casually do anything in church back then. I've never really understood you Christians who can leave here fresh as a daisy, every hair in place, clothes still smooth and not wrinkled. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired after I get through praising God. If you come to give me a hug after I finish preaching, I need to give you a warning. I'm tired, I'm hot, 
I'm sweaty, I've destroyed this shirt I'm in, and it may not be pleasant. Because for me, worship, real worship, is not a spectator sport. I come to church to participate and to give God my highest praise and to raise a hallelujah as high as I can. I don't know about you, but I come to lift my hands. I come to open my mouth and to sing until Becky nudges me that I'm singing too loud. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I'm talking about Paul's admonition to rejoice always. What if you knew that today was going to be your last time to worship Jesus here on this earth? What if you knew that you would never have another opportunity to lift his name in the company of God's people? Would it make a difference for you? Would it change your approach to how you are even conducting yourself in this service today? My sister sent a song to me a few weeks ago. I wish she hadn't. Because I almost could not get past the very first line of the song. I'm sure I can find the title and the artist and all that. But it said this. The first line, it said this. If I had known that the last time would be the last time. Oh, my God. Of course, she sent that to me right after our mother had passed away. If I had known that the last time would be the last time. What would that have done? I last saw my mother alive on June 23rd. How would my hug, as she said goodbye that day, have been different if I had known that the last time would be the last time? This song goes on in other very melancholy ways to remind us to not be a person who lives with regrets. Live today to the full. Live so that you won't have regrets. Give yourself wholly to this day that God has given you. And be the Christian who says, I'm going to believe the admonition of the Apostle Paul and I'm going to rejoice always like Paul has instructed us to do. I don't ever, ever want to regret being a person who was lazy or lethargic in my worship of Jesus. Is anybody with me today? I could never live with the regret of not taking the time to sit at his feet. I couldn't live with that. What if you knew that, that the last time would be the last time? How would that change? What if you knew that if today was the last time? Paul's words, rejoice always. That is the first admonition of this trilogy from the Apostle Paul. The second is from verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Oh, If you've tuned out, tune back in. You need to hear this. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. When rejoicing, when giving thanks in every situation, there should be prayer attached to that. Pray continually. Praise continually. Prayer has never been intended to be relegated to prescribed hours, but should rather be a common and constant element of our daily lives. So what does it mean to pray and praise without ceasing? It does not mean that you walk around everywhere you go just muttering prayers constantly without stopping. Lord, I pray you my sister, my brother, I pray that, oh God, that you give me that. Be sure and touch and bless the kids here and there, and Lord, and to provide this. That's not what it means, that you just go around muttering all day long without stopping. J.B. Lightfoot said this, 
It is not in the moving of the lips, but in the elevation of the heart to God that the essence of prayer consists. Let me say that again. It's not in the moving of the lips, but in the elevation of the heart to God that the essence of prayer consists. And it is this that enables us to put into practice the injunction to pray continually. Here is the blessed, incredible truth to you and me today. Let us never forget the door to the throne room of the universe has been thrown wide open to us. Imagine being an American to whom the door of the White House and the door to the President's office is always open. Or imagine being British and able to walk right into number 10 Downing Street in London at will, at your pleasure. Well, guess what, church? We have something better than that today. We have access at all times to the immediate presence of God. Blessed be his name. Our friend wrote this lyric, the veil was rent in an instant, revealing that holy place. On a hill nearby, on a rugged cross, justice met grace, and now I can go into the holy of holies. I can kneel and make my petitions known. I can go into the holy of holies, and although I'm just a common man, because of God's redemption plan, I can boldly approach God's throne. Come on, bless the name of Jesus today. Now this idea of praying without ceasing carries with it an interesting picture, which is derived from the Greek. I found lots of support for this idea. The Greek word, no one can butcher a Greek pronunciation better than I can. I'm really good at, at it. Adialiptos, adialiptos. It means without ceasing or continually is the Greek word. If I double click or triple click on continually, pray without ceasing or continually, it brings up the Greek to me in several different forms, adialiptos, and it means unceasingly by an unvarying practice. In the Greek, listen to me, it is an adverb and the word was used to speak of a hacking cough. An intermittent cough is how the word was used. Adialiptos, whatever I said, aleptos, that's it, something like that. When you have a cough like that, a hacking, intermittent cough, you may not be coughing constantly the entire day. It's the same word that Paul's using. You may not be coughing constantly the entire day, but there's this little tickle in the back of your throat constantly. <coughs> Just a little tickle. Always, it's always there. But then with that little tickle, <coughs> a cough could come up at any minute. So what's the application? You're not necessarily praying all day long, but if you need it, it's right in the back of your throat. You're not necessarily praising all day long, but when God allows something to come your way and a blessing appears out of nowhere, a praise just jumps up right out of the back of your throat. <coughs> Hallelujah. <coughs> Bless the Lord Jesus. <coughs> Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. It's right in the back of your, it's right here. Hallelujah. It's always in the back of your throat. Just like prayer and praise is similar to an intermittent hacking cough in the back of your throat, 
There are just some things you need to know that are a cough suppressant for which we must be on guard. Pride is a cough suppressant. A judgmental spirit is a cough suppressant. Envy is a cough suppressant. Lust is a cough suppressant. Anybody listening to me today? God wants to get a praise out of us, but he has to get some other stuff out of us in order to get that praise. Is there anybody here this morning in the room who knows what it is to have your praise perfected because of what you've been through? Your praise has been worked on because of what you've been through. I'm just wondering if we have two or three believers in the house this morning. I'm just looking for two or three whose praise has been perfected by the storms you've been through, by the mess you've gotten yourself into, and by the mess God got you out of, and then by the mess God kept you from getting in. Listen to me. A real worshiper today, someone with a genuine praise today, is not praising or praying because they've got it all together. No, they've got their feet on the ground. They've got their heart toward the Lord. They're not praising and praying because everything is coming up roses in their life. But they just know that at any minute, a praise might come out of the back of their throat. Any time, any place. Let me just be practical with it. Get behind the wheel of that car and remember when you didn't have one. (coughs) Thank you, Jesus. (coughs) Thank you, Lord, for providing. Come on into the church and, and with people who love you and will hug you or shake your hand and just remember when you felt all alone and by yourself. <coughs> Hallelujah. <coughs> Hallelujah. Sit down at your table and eat a meal and look over at the pantry and see that you've got canned goods you've not even opened. <coughs> Thank you, Jesus, for providing. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Is there anybody here who has a praise in the back of your throat? Don't let anybody or anything suppress your hallelujah. And finally, the last verse, give thanks in every situation. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thankfulness is the opposite of complaining. Thankfulness is the opposite of complaining. It's a little difficult to do both those things in the same sentence. I could complain this morning, but I won't. I used to complain, but I'm not going to do it. I feel like I need to complain, but I won't. And here's why. Because when I put my blessings on one side of the balance scale and my complaints on the other side, the balance of the scale is always tilted in my direction. My blessings far outweigh my complaints. Christians are to give thanks to God in every circumstance of life. And the fact that we know that God works everything together for good for those who love him according to Romans 8.28 is the basis for this entreaty. The church of the Lord Jesus is to be a thankful church. There's always something for which to give thanks. Even on the darkest day, there are blessings to count. Somebody say amen. We must remember that if we face the sun, the shadows will fall behind us. But if we turn our backs on the sun, all the shadows will be in front of us. You can complain or you can give thanks. Do I have some things to complain about today? 
You bet I do. Do you have some things to complain about today? Of course you do. But through it all, church, through it all, through it all, God has seen us through. In everything, he says, give thanks. So if you're visiting or you're new or you're disturbed by all the noise in the room today, why is all this noise going on in the room while I'm preaching? I'll tell you what it is. It's the hard expression of those who are grateful today for the goodness of God. It's the grateful expression of those who resonate with the words of an old song we used to sing years ago. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today. And what he put, the song he put in me, it is a song of praise. Hallelujah. Because my testimony to you today is God has made a way for me where there seemed to be no way. Is that true for anybody else in the house? He's done some things for me that I didn't even ask him for. He's given me blessings that I was not even, I was not even smart enough to ask for. So quite frankly, every time I get a chance, I'm going to come to the house of God and lift my hands and lift my voice and rejoice over the goodness of God. And I'm looking for anyone in the house today who is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, who's not embarrassed to help me testify that our God is a good God, our God is a merciful God, our God is a faithful God, and our God is worthy of praise. I don't know about you, but I'm going to heed the words of the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to be the Christian who will rejoice always. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, if you can say that God has been good to you, right now would be a great time to catch up on your praise. If God has opened a door for you, right now would be a good time to catch up on your hallelujah. Somebody ought to be giving their hallelujah shout in the house today. Bless the name of the Lord. And I'm going to give you this. Before you leave this house today, you should encourage someone. Tell them, before you leave today, find someone and tell them to rejoice always. Tell them to pray without ceasing. Tell them there might be just a tickle in the back of their throat, like a hacking cough. It's always there, but it's there to serve. Every time you have a thank you, Jesus, a hallelujah, bless the name of the Lord, it's right there. Tell them to pray without ceasing. Tell them in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord.